Hey, guess what, Rockheads? Progress Telerik wants to send someone to build. So they're having a contest. Step one is to sign up and learn about the new innovative modern UI tools they'll be announcing at Build. By registering, you'll be entered to win a full conference pass to Microsoft Build plus a $500 travel stipend. They're also giving away three Telerik DevCraft UI licenses. And for .NET Rocks listeners, they'll also be giving away a Telerik DevCraft UI license every week. All you have to do is register at buildcontest.pwop.me. That's buildcontest.pwop.me. Progress offers the leading platform for developing and deploying mission-critical business applications. The creator of the award-winning Telerik.net and Kendo UI, JavaScript user interface components and controls, reporting solutions, and productivity tools, Progress offers all the tools developers need to build high-performant modern apps with outstanding UI. Go now to buildcontest.pwop.me and sign up to win. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And we're talking about desktop deployment again here. And desktop development in general, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a thing. Paul Betts is here. We're going to be talking to him in a few minutes. But first, we have this little thing called Better Know Framework. Awesome. All right, dude, what do you got? This is a GitHub project. It's a mm-hmm. EF Core extension. Uh, it's called Snickler.EFCore. And it's fluent methods for mapping store procedure results to objects in Entity Framework Core. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That is cool. Because it's not there, right? In Entity Framework, there's, you know, store procedures are like some sort of distant afterthought because, uh, you know, we want EF is very general, right? Yep. Yep. So this is a way that you can just fluently, you have a DB context and DB context dot load stored proc dot with SQL param dot execute, you know, here's your handler and that's pretty much it. Nice. And they're loading the parameters properly and yep. they handle multiple result sets and they handle output parameters. Yeah. That is awesome. As you do. As you do. Nice find. Yeah, so nice find. And uh, if you need that, check it out. I haven't personally used it yet, but I know of people that are using it and like it. So know it, learn it, love it. Love it, love it, love it. That was great. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1367. So I jumped back into October of 2016 mm-hmm. when we talked to Rob Menching about the Wix tool set, talking about deployment. Yep. And we certainly, that's more web deployment for the Wix tool set with MSIs and things. But, you know. Deployment is important. I use the Wix tool set for deploying WPF apps, actually. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. So we have had conversations about deployment not that long ago, but this is a new one and I'm excited about it. But Amir Cricket, I'm going to say Cricket because, you know, not enough vowels, Mm. said, great show. I was glad to hear Rob talking about a tool that stopped my hair loss. (laughs) Good one. (laughs) I'm also glad that Rob is thinking about the future as how I see things, deployments getting more and more difficult. Or should I say, the distribution of software is getting more and more difficult. We're a yeah. small software company where our software installs on the server. Then Wix has done a great job for us. 
For me, the problem comes with distribution. Posting PowerShell APIs to NuGet, Docker, containers to hubs and so forth. I would love to see Wix coming into this space and not just help with the install, but maybe help with building other types of installation and distribution packages. And that, you know, is a great point, Amir, that Hmm. apps are different now too, especially when talking about server side. You know, it's not just a DLL you're pushing up to a server anymore. It could be some function code or some logic apps, pieces of Azure stuff. Like there are all kinds of different packages. Mm -hmm. And then trying to get that whole thing to deploy as a unit, not a small problem. Right. Especially looking at it from a retail perspective. Yeah. So I'm sure it's a conversation we're going to dig into with Paul today. So, Amir, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of our social media. So we publish every show to Google and Facebook. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We extrude them into pasta. I think, <laughs> think that's what we do. Well, some of us eat it. Some of us don't. Anyway. Paul Betts is here. He's a software developer who writes a lot of open source software. His latest work is on the Slack desktop app and Electron-based projects. Previously, he was at GitHub working on GitHub desktop. Welcome back, Paul. It's been six years. Yeah. It's a long time. Yeah, too long. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you back, man. Yeah. Glad to have you back, indeed. Like we were talking about before, I've used the, the Wix toolkit, and I didn't find it that difficult to use. You know, it's pretty much marking up XML. But uh, before that, I had all of the pain of ClickOnce and vowed never to use it again. And I think the thing that really got me with ClickOnce was customers trying to install your apps and, you know, all of the security apps, the Norton antivirus and all these antivirus apps going, hey, you can't do that. And then stop you dead in your tracks. Yep. As somebody who writes an installation framework, I have lots of opinions about third-party antivirus. Actually, you know, I don't have that many opinions. It's just one, just uninstall them. Just uninstall them. Yeah, they are a virus. (laughs) Why do you need anything other than Windows Defender if you're running Windows? Yeah. Windows Defender is really good, and it's really fast. And And it's built into the OS. And it stays out of the way. It stays out of the way. Doesn't ask you to upgrade all the time. Buy new stuff that you don't need. Yeah. None of the nagware. It's a, you know what? You forget you even have it until you actually do open something or do something that is potentially risky. And it goes, hey, I was watching you. And between that and a VPN, you know, you're, you're well protected. Yep. Yep. Do you have a favorite VPN app? I don't use VPN too much. If I have to VPN, I'm usually using just a SSH tunnel. Right. Uh, so I spin up a Windows Azure VM yeah. and just tunnel through there. Old school. Nice. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, tell us about this thing. Tell us about Squirrel. What is Squirrel anyway? Yeah. So you mentioned Wix before. And so Wix is, is this great framework for building really big installers. So Wix and MSI were originally designed for Microsoft Office. And Microsoft Office is this huge, like multi component, multi application, mm. has a huge amount of installation needs. And so Wix is trying to kind of model that on top of MSI. And so it inherits a lot of the complexity of MSI. So MSI is, is one of those things where you, you build the initial installer and that was, okay, that was pretty easy, but then you got to update it. Now you're in the weeds. Yep, you're paying. <laughs> and so the goal of Squirrel was, was to take some subset of applications. So we, we're saying we're not going to work for Microsoft Office. That's just mm-hmm. not our target. Yeah. And we're going to make it for most applications and we're going to make that experience really, really great. We're going to make it great for users and we're going to make it great for developers. 
And so we make it great for developers by making it really straightforward to do a lot of the update tasks. So when you make a squirrel package, you create a NuGet package, just like any other NuGet package. Nice. These days, it's a little dated because you have to put it under a kind of very old profile uh, of .NET 4.5. But you don't actually have to code your app in .NET 4.5. In fact, you can code your app using any language you want, C++ or Python or Ruby or C Sharp. Yeah. And package it up as a NuGet package. And you run it through this tool. And it generates a set of uh, files in a folder, and you just upload that to S3 or Azure Blob Storage or any kind of like static HTTP server. And that's your update server. A lot of update frameworks require you to set up some kind of special server. And I really wanted to get away from that and make it so that you could just upload it anywhere. And it has a lot of flexibility because it means that if a static file server can be your update server, it means that just a folder can be your update server or a network share. Yeah. So it has a lot of flexibility that having setting up some server to do updates doesn't have. So that's the idea. So so our goal our goal for users is to make an update experience that's a lot like Google Chrome. So Google Chrome's mm. updater is open source. It's called Project Omaha. And it's really, really complicated. It's got a lot of pieces to it. The server part is actually not open source. You have to write your own. And there's some open source ones that have done it. But the experience of updating in Google Chrome is really what I was aiming for, right? Right. When Google Chrome updates, you almost never notice it. Um, and if you do, it gets out of your way. It doesn't try to pop up dialogues. It doesn't sure. do the, the the Sparkle on Mac thing where it shows this really invasive dialogue at kind of the worst time. Right. Developers often pick like the worst time to do updates, like when the app starts. It's like, yeah. you, know that, you know that the user wants to do something, like do something else, right? They mm -hmm. have a goal. They open your app for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and but first, before we do what you want to do, <laughs> yeah. I got to do what I want to do. Right. Exactly. Like you pick the worst time to do an update. And so the goal of Squirrel for users was to make it so that you can install the app and there would be updates that would be silent in the background. And we do some tricks that are really similar to actually what ClickOnce did, which is why it's like ClickOnce what works. Is that your actual logo motto? <laughs> it is a little bit. It's like ClickOnce but works. Trademark. <laughs> Let me clarify that statement because it's really a bummer because click once I actually think is really good. It's like 80% great and 20% like show stopping bugs. Yep. Right. And it's just like, it killed me because we use click once for get up for windows. So for example, we wrote a 64 bit version of get up for windows, ported over all the libgit code and, and everything was great. And it, it actually made a difference because if you load really big Git repositories, you have to put that all in a memory as like an MMAP, like a shared memory section. So people were like running out of address space trying to open these big Git repos and sort of like, we'll port it to 64-bit. We did it, but then ClickOnce writes the architecture of every single file in its manifest. Like it's like, oh, you have some DLL dot whatever, and it's x86. Yeah. And so we went to test the upgrade and we found out that as soon as we tried to move everyone to 64-bit, it would break and we'd have to ask everyone to uninstall and reinstall. And so we're like, well, it's oh, a man. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no way to fix it. There's like the only, there's like, you're just up a creek. Like, there's nothing you can do about it. You were broken at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So I was like, oh, this is, this is killing me. Or like, there's things uh, that have to do with uh, click once and like proxy servers, like they don't handle proxy servers correctly. And so I was like, I want that experience of like, you double click on an installer and like the app opens. Right. So like, that's really the goal of Squirrel is that it's a, it's a little bit, it's very opinionated. That kind of throws a lot of people with the loop because they're like, why is there no wizard? And I'm like, well, asking people a bunch of questions they don't know the answer to 
as your first part of your product experience is actually not great. I think it was Mark Miller who on Mondays, which is an old show we used to do, said that he had invented a thing called the install buddy that when you install a desktop application, it just kept pushing next for you. <laughs> the goal of Squirrel was you clicked on the installer and then it opened the app. Yeah. yeah. The goal is it would be so fast that if people were confused, like, you know, like somebody who wasn't super great with computers would put the installer in their desktop and double click on it. They could use it as like the shortcut. Like if it was fast enough, yep. they double click the app open, they double click the app open. Right. Secretly it was installing it every single time. Yeah. But whatever. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's harder for developers to kind of wrap their mind around that, that, that they should kind of move some of the things they're doing to like, you know, like a welcome screen or like kind of tutorial section where they're like, Oh, you need to set up this and that things they're used to being able to put into like an installer wizard thing. Right. So it requires a little bit of a, like a mind shift. You think more like kind of a Mac app, you know, when you install a Mac application, you just drag it to applications and you run it, right? There's no installer. Sure. And so Mac applications recognize that and they're like, Oh, well the first time we run, we got to do some stuff like maybe show like a tutorial or something like that. Right. And Squirrel gives you a lot of opportunity to like, it'll tell you that's like, Hey, this is the first time you've ever been started. You might want to think of, you know, doing something appropriate for an mm. application. And I always like apps that come up and go, let me take you on a tutorial. And there's a checkbox or something down there that says, I've done this before. Get out of my way. Right. Yeah. 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 I love it when apps just have a little bit of sarcasm for experienced users. Mm. So it's just sort of remind <laughs> you, I get that you may know what you're doing. Just tell me you know what you're doing and I'll stop bothering you. Yep. Just releaseify. Okay. That's all I want you to do. Releaseify. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> So after the initial install, is it like Chrome in that every time you close it, it's going to go get an update? Is that the approach? So Squirrel's a little different in that it's just a library. Like a lot of these installation frameworks kind of like wrap your application. Like click once, you didn't get to choose when updates were installed. You could kind of hint to it. Be like, please install, please check for updates. But like some points, it would pop up this dialogue that's like you're being updated and there's nothing you could do to stop it. Yeah. Mm. Right. I am always angry with a computer when it decides what I should be doing. Right. Yeah. So Squirrel puts that responsibility on the developer. So developers can choose whether they want a really noisy installation and update process where they kind of show dialogues, but it's on them to show the dialogue. Right. The default kind of behavior or the one we encourage is one where apps work like websites in the sense that like mm. you go to a website and it's the newest version and you don't have to think about it or worry about it. Yeah. Usually we want updates for desktop applications to work the same way. Sure. Some people of course don't like this, but the developer can choose, right? Like it depends on your audience and it depends on what they're doing. If you're working on really like you would never want Unity to do this, right? Because like Unity is really tied to versions of the project. And so like, you know, they're in the middle of a building their game and like suddenly Unity updates like it's a, a disaster, right? Like that would not be a good thing. No. Mm. It gives you the freedom to choose like what makes sense for your application. So if you still want to do the, I don't care what you wanted to do when you <laughs> ran this app, I've got stuff to do first, you can do that, but it's on you. No excuses. You did it. Yep, exactly. And if you want to do a quiet background update, you know, that's fine. You can do it that, that way too. Yep. And so the way that I've designed at least a Slack desktop updater, uh, which also uses Squirrel, it checks every, I think, eight hours for an update. Mm-hmm. And that update applies the next time they start the app. So with Slack, people can end up, end up running it for <laughs> quite some time before they actually get the update. And so there's other ways you can handle that. If you really need to force somebody to update, you can like kind of, the Slack desktop app shows it's like a banner, right? If they mm-hmm. run a really old version. Yeah. And usually that only happens 
when the update error is broken in some way. So some small percentage of people get stuck for some reason, you know, their their ISP blocks updates or something. Mm. We kept statistics at Slack about, you know, how fast does an update propagate once we put it out to the world? And we found that within like a month or so, I think 80%, 90% plus would have the latest version, which is huge. Like for a desktop framework updater, that's really impressive. Like yeah. the app store is at 75%. For our app, so we were doing quite well in like making sure that people had the latest version. That's that was really cool. You guys do something that I really love that I you know I, I missed since the old days. Delta packages. So you've got let's say you've got a you know thirty megabyte package or whatever for your application. Maybe it's more than that. And now you make a change. You don't want to have to send all thirty megabytes down. So is that what a delta package is? It just takes the difference between this version and that version and makes uh, something that patches the executables and DLLs? Yeah, you got it. So what we do is we spend a little bit of disk space to save the last installation package that we downloaded, and we keep that like in a separate folder. And so when we go to do an update, we'll download this file that's we build it automatically. You don't have to think about building Delta packages. It just happens. And it will take the previous package and the Delta and smush them together, and you'll get the new version. And so because it's like entirely offline, it's doing it on packages and not like your installed folder. We don't have to worry about, you know, um, people corrupting their own updates or stuff like that. And if it fails, we always fall back to the full version. But that can make a huge difference with Electron apps in particular, because often your updates are only like kind of JavaScript code, right? Yeah. And so the actual Electron framework is, is pretty big, 40, 50, 60 MB. And so having that Delta only apply to the JavaScript can make your updates go from like, you know, 60 MB to 100K. Yeah. And we would actually see like, we were using like Fastly for our uh, CDN. And so it means that every update costs money, right? Right. And so once we got Delta updates working, we could not tell when we released an update, like in terms of download bandwidth. So it was a huge amount of money that we were saving. Yeah, I'm kidding. That's what you want, right? That you literally can't even tell. It just works. Right. That's what everybody actually wants from updates. You know, just yeah. the, I, I really don't want to care. I don't want to know. I want the features. Give me no pain at all. Yep. Yep. Exactly. That's the goal. Yep. Yeah. Totally, totally reasonable. It, it shouldn't be your method of marketing the new feature. You put that in the code, put that in the app. Yeah. That, hey, light up a new feature, that kind of thing. Don't do it with the installer. Exactly. Hey, uh, let's pause here for a second to hear this very important message. When you're building an application, you need it to be fast, secure, and always evolving. With Kubernetes Engine on the Google Cloud Platform, developers can deploy fully managed, containerized apps quickly and easily. Google has been running production workloads in containers for over 15 years, and they build the best of what they learn into Kubernetes, the industry-leading open-source container orchestrator. Kubernetes Engine combines automatic scaling, updates, and reliable self-healing infrastructure with open-source flexibility to cut down development cycles and speed up time to market. Learn more about Kubernetes Engine online at g.co slash getgke. That's g.co slash getgke. All right, and we're back, and we're talking to Paul Betts, Carl Franklin, Richard Campbell, .NET Rocks here, talking about Squirrel, desktop deployment tool set that Mr. Paul Betts has uh, put together. It's really, really cool and very transparent. 
And we really love the motto, like click once, but it works. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to spend the whole time just, you know, hating on click once, but man, when it burns you, it burns you bad. (laughs) (laughs) So you're using sort of NuGet to put these packages together. And then you have a little thing that checks for updates and does Delta packages. This is all really great. But what about customizing your installation? I mean, that's one of the beauties of Wix is that it's just this open syntax XML format thing that you can just put a whole bunch of stuff in there to customize. You guys have an API, right? In terms of customization, there's since there's no UI, like one of the pillars of Squirrel is the first thing you see is your app. And there's not too much customize. One of the features of Squirrel is that it never shows you AC dialogs. It never uh, elevates to administrator. And nice. the reason we don't do that is because UAC dialogs, you can do background updates silently, right? Mm-hmm. If I have to write to program files and pop a UAC dialog, that's not silent at all, right? That's really confusing and jarring. Right. So the consequence of that is that means that your application has to run without installing things like drivers, without installing NT services. So a lot of those customizations you do in MSI or Wix or whatever are to do things like that. So the other the other customizations that people want to do, we did a different way with a feature that's called Squirrel Hooks. So in MSI, you would write this, if you wanted to run code during the installer, mm. you'd have to write this DLL and it'd be really painful and you'd have to try to, to testing it would be really difficult. Mm. And you'd have to try to get in there and, you know, you'd write, you change a line and then you have to spend 20 minutes rebuilding an installer and then click on it and it doesn't work. And then you'd have to uninstall it. Really painful. Mm. Squirrel hooks essentially look for every executable in the package and then checks to see that they have a special kind of like flag. And there's two ways to set that flag via assembly attribute in C sharp. Nice. Or if you use uh, native applications, there's a way to set it using resource files um, and they're both documented. And so the idea is that if we see that your application is quote unquote squirrel aware, (laughs) we'll just run it with a special flag. So we'll say there's, there's kind of four lifecycle events. There's like on initial install, on update, on uninstall, and then what's called obsolete, which is kind of the opposite of update. Like you were the latest version and you're about to not be the latest version. Okay. Hmm. That's cool. And so you get a chance to do whatever you want. So create shortcuts, uh, set up file associations. And you do that right in your app. Your app does it and then immediately exits. You're kind of silently running a little bit of code in the next thing. And the really important, useful thing about this design is that testing these uh, hooks is really easy because you just run your app. Sure. You run it with the flags. Yeah. So iterating on it and getting those hooks running correctly is really straightforward. Wow, great. In general, like one of the other goals of Squirrel was to take a lot of the suffering around like testing and debugging installers Mm -hmm. and get rid of that. So things like being able to test installer code as it starts was really important. The other thing that's really important is that anywhere in Squirrel that you can put an update URL, like an HTTPS URL, you can also type a regular file path. So when you go to test updates, you'll take the original version of your app and just say update from and then point it to a folder that you just created the new version of your app. Nice. I see people like spinning up like a dummy HTTP server on local hosts. And it's like, that's no way to live. Like, like that's such like a, just like paper cut. <laughs> and, and the only difference between doing a UNC path and an HTTPS path is literally the string. Yep, exactly. Interesting. Anytime you can put a HTTPS URL, you can also put a file path. And so it ends up being really useful for testing. Well, and it's just, a, a, yeah, I love that you want to have a simple test environment, but you also want it to test all the features correctly. So. The fact that it just works either way. And I'm glad you said HTTPS because for the most part, you, you know, you sort of emphasize just straight HTTP, it's easy. 
But if folks want to have a secured access or, you know, maybe a paywall and control who gets updates and so forth, we could do that. Yeah. So HTTPS is really critical to squirrel updates. There's no reason you should have squirrel updates over a regular HTTP. It's, it's very dangerous. So okay. squirrel relies on HTTPS to make sure that the thing that it's talking to is the thing that you expect it. And so because, because the updater is so simple, it means you can kind of build, if you want things like paywalls or extra security mm-hmm. or like things like certificate pinning, where you want to check yeah. to make sure that not only are we talking to something that validates HTTPS, it's the exact same person. Right. Right. And so because the API is also really simple, it's just like literally a text file and some zip files that you're downloading. You can build kind of stuff on top of that, depending on what your needs of your application are. Like um, we generate this file called releases mm-hmm. in Squirrel and releases just how Squirrel apps check for updates without like downloading huge amounts of data. So releases is a really, really simple text file that just basically describes like version numbers, the file sizes and SHA-1 hashes. Uh, just to make sure that we didn't get a corrupted data during download. So you're using the hashes as CRCs, essentially? Basically, yeah. So it's, yeah. Not for, it's not for security purposes. It's only to make sure that your file integrity purposes, basically. Right. Do you have any way to debug an installation if something goes wrong and you don't exactly know what? Yeah, so mostly Squirrel generates a lot of log files um, for what it does. And so we would end up sending those log files to support quite a bit. Um, and so they would kind of tell us what happened and like what they try to do. And so log files show up for both the initial install and as well as uh, updates. So when we had a debug, people were having trouble installing Slack, the squirrel install log would usually tell us what happened. And it's almost always third-party antivirus. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Things that just do bizarre things. And it makes sense because if you think about it, like what does Squirrel do? It's like, well, it downloads applications from the internet and quietly in the background unpacks them and runs them. It's like, well. (laughs) Exactly what viruses do. What does malware do? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, this one has consent of the user. It's like, well, it's not so easy to. And you find out that a lot of like third-party antivirus is not particularly clever. Like they're literally hard coding, like a lot of these popular applications. Like normally they would absolutely flag Microsoft Office as malware because of all the stuff it does. But then they have like a special, like, is it Microsoft Office? Sure. Oh, okay. Never mind. Never mind. It's cool. It's one hell of a switch statement, isn't it? (laughs) It's, it's a huge switch statement. It's like, you know, they, they have a huge amount of hard coded, like, just like, is this cool? Yes or no. And so squirrel, I think is starting to, bubble up to them in terms of like, you know, awareness and like they're starting, it's not so bad, but you definitely need to, one thing that's really important is you need to sign your applications um, using an authentic code certificate. So it's really important to sign your applications using Squirrel, using an authentic code certificate and getting one of those is straight out of 1994. It's like, reminds me of how to get an, Mm. uh, like an old TLS certificate back when it was really, really hard to do so. Right. Oh man. It's like sending in like driver's licenses and like your old cable bill. Right. And like faxing it to people. Yeah. But the result is that antivirus will leave you alone quite a bit. And so that's like a barrier yeah. to entry. But actually, if you go in through MSDN, they have deals where you can get it for much cheaper. Some around like $80 per year or something like that. So Well, that that's sort of the fix for click once too. I mean, you know, that if when stuff is signed, it just operates more seamlessly. But I always found that a big barrier to entry for for people to get those certificates and attach them correctly the nice thing is if, if you're just developing it for friends or like it's open source or it's something small you can just do it without signing mm-hmm. and like kind of tell people it's like it's okay it's cool like yeah that's that's what i do too it's me it's really when you get into <laughs> like you know these big professional deployments sure. of course you'll be always signed 
And when you start getting a whole bunch of users, because yeah. they're going to start writing in and be like, you're a virus, you're a virus, you're a virus. And you're like, no, 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 I'm not. Yeah, I, I, I got to think as soon as you're selling the software, yeah, you should be yep. getting this stuff signed, yep. even though it is, it is a pain in the butt. Yep. It's harder than it needs to be. That's for sure. Yep. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time to point out that there's actually a 12-step program for recovering ClickOnce users. It's called <laughs> Anonymous. Was that step one? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. It's all well and fine until it doesn't work. Right. And, and I love when it pops up the message that says, contact your administrator. I am the administrator, right. And I don't know what to do. <laughs> uh, it's actually time to give away a D-Experience subscription from our good friends at DevExpress to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. You know, everyone knows that DevExpress has great desktop controls, but their web tools are just simply amazing. They have this collection of HTML5 JavaScript controls called DevExtreme. Now, at the heart of this product line, there are these powerful controls like grid, chart, pivot grid, tree list, and scheduler. But... DevExtreme also comes with more than 50 touch-optimized client-side controls, data visualizers, navigators, editors, lists, dialogues, and notification controls, but also general-purpose controls like filter builders, range sliders, file uploaders, scroll viewers, and more. And since they're all HTML5, JavaScript, and CSS, they include integrations with things like jQuery, Knockout, React, Ionic, and Angular. And DevExtreme controls also come with ASP.NET MVC and ASP.NET Core wrappers. So they're ultimately flexible. But don't take our word for it. Go for a test drive right now at dx.netrocks.com. That's dx.netrocks.com. Well, all right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Adarsh Shah. Yeah. Golf clap for you, sir. Yes, indeed. Congratulations, Adarsh. Adarsh just won the D-Experience subscription. That's a big pile of awesome from our friends at DevExpress just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you want to be a member of the fan club and win great stuff, just go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the fan club. But you have to sign up to win. And we also like to ask our guests, Paul, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? These days, I'm starting to move into a new house. And so I'm thinking a lot about home automation stuff. And so that can be expensive really quickly. But now that I'm starting to kind of build everything around the Google Home, and since it has such great support mm. for all kinds of different things, and thinking about all the different things you can connect. And like, I think that there's a lot of potential that is in the next, like maybe five to 10 years, people will really get around like making things more usable for people. I think that right mm. now, I really describe home automation as like, kind of being on the enterprise, but like, instead of having like, you know, the command chair where everyone decides what to do, like it's just engineering and they're like, Oh, you know, go to warp six. And then people are climbing around in Jeffrey's tubes. Right. <laughs> so like getting the usability of home automation and seeing like the, the, the ways that you can make people's lives easier instead of more like fiddly. Right. It's starting to come up. Like people are starting to realize that like, not only should it just be technology, but like designing usability. 
And so I could definitely spend a lot of money on home automation gadgets and wiring them together and, you know, writing a little bit of code. Yeah, I never caught that bug. It's still tech for the geeky person. Like the, the number of times when I'm setting up bits and pieces of this and, you know, we've been working on the coast place and putting these different parts in. The number of times I'm like, I am struggling with this and I know I am an expert. I'm about as expert as you're going to get. Hmm. Right? I have submitted bug reports for some of these products back to the company and had them call me because they're like, dude, that's a really good bug report. I'm like, I know, please <laughs> fix it. But it's, it's too hard. It's still too hard. Yep. Yep. Thank goodness for the cloud. Like yeah. you start to realize the pieces that you really need here is it's got to have a great mobile app. It's got to be tolerant to a lot of different features. It pretty much depends on the cloud. It depends on a, on a decent Wi-Fi connection. Like the, the, there's a lot of stuff that has to work to make this stuff work. When it works, it's awesome, but it doesn't always work. Can we talk about staging rollouts? Yeah, so the idea of stage rollouts on Squirrel is I stole this idea from kind of like uh, mobile platforms like Google Play and the App Store and stuff like that, where you can say, I'm going to put out a new release, but I only want like 5% of my users to get it. Yeah. And so you're going to take that kind of knob and turn it up over time. And so you're putting out a new release and you want to make sure that if something bad happens, you can kind of roll it back or not everybody gets it at once. Right. And so we built that for Slack where like, you know, every release we would ship it to like 2 million plus people. And like, no matter what we did, something, you know, somebody's going to get broken. Right. And if yep. you have 2 million people, like every release. So we wanted a way to like have more confidence around like just being really safe because, you know, Slack is an enterprise tool, right? And people rely on it every day for their work. And so like having, putting your, your business like offline because of a bad desktop update is like not good. <laughs> right. You're not in business very long if you keep doing stuff like that. Right. Yeah. So it's a way to scale out your rollout up to 100%. And so you just write a percentage mm -hmm. number in the releases file and you say like, you know, I want this to fight 5, 10, 15, 20. And the way we do that is that as soon as the app installs, we create like an, a GUID on your computer. Mm. And we're going to take that number and kind of use it to determine whether you're in like the, the beta group, right? Mm. It means that this number is stable. So like if you have a really low GUID, you're lucky, right? And so like everyone's going <laughs> to, you're going to get into the installer quickly. And so if you don't like that GUID, you can just delete it and like get a new one. Yeah. So we use it to be, to make it so that every time you check for updates, you'll get the same result for the same information instead of kind of like randomizing it and saying like, you know, right. flip a coin every time they check for updates. I like that. How does Squirrel use GitHub? Yeah. So there's kind of two ways to do updates for Squirrel applications. You can put it on a static website and that's kind of the recommended way. I think that that's for most applications that that's what you want to do. Yeah. For public open source projects, one of the things that people were really excited about was running their updates through GitHub releases. So they want to make a GitHub release and then have all their customers updated to it. This, in my opinion, I'm not super excited about because A, you're using GitHub as a CDN, which mm. is if you if you get popular enough, they will not be happy with it. Right. And B, it only works for public projects. So if you have a private project, you can't have private projects but public updates. Yeah. It has to be all open source. So it only works for the subset of people. And it's not super great because you know, GitHub will be annoyed by it. <laughs> but it's there. And so for small projects, if, if you think, if you're excited about it, then then go for it. So you can either point it to a, a static file as a repo, or you can point it to a GitHub repository that's specially set up that way. And so like it will download updates from GitHub. That's cool. You know, I'm, I'm starting to think down after Carl's question to you about controlling who gets the new feature and so forth. You get into this sort of DevOps path of being able to roll out updates quickly, but also be able to roll back. 
is it really up to the developer as as to do I need to get a new version or do I need to do anything? I I could just add to my app, check in regularly to see if there's any updates needed. Yeah. So so one of the things that people ask for and that I have not put in yet is being able to roll back updates. So being able to say like, oh yeah, I was on version five. Version five is canceled. Roll back to version four. Right. And the reason you can't do that is because of Delta updates. So the way that Delta updates work is it it says like I'm on version two. I want to get to version four. I'm going to do the math to calculate, should I download this many Delta updates or can I download the full version and just download the whole thing? Mm, right. And so going backwards, Delta updates don't work, right? No, it would have to be a full update. Yeah. It makes it more difficult. It kind of makes all the update logic a little bit more tricky. Mm. And there's an easy workaround, right? You just take the previous file contents and then call it version six or whatever, yeah. you know, version 5.01. And so I'm like kind of a little reticent to like, code that in especially because you could write some script to do it for you right Right. you could write a rollback script that just took like the previous version gave it a new number and then stuffed it in a new package so i might write that script and so the the other thing is that like i'm really paranoid about touching a lot of the logic around that because like if you put out a bad version of squirrel you broke updates for all your users Mm. right so you can't fix it because you can't use squirrel to update it so Squirrel is one of the projects where, where I review PRs much more pessimistically than, than I do for other projects. Because uh, if you break it, you sometimes you can't, you fix it right. uh, in an update. Yeah. And you don't want to get caught in that, that rabbit hole. But yeah, I guess a, it'd have to be a full uninstall, full install to roll back. Yep. And getting people to do that is impossible, right? You'll lose yeah. you'll, a whole whole raft of people some percentage of your users will just always be on that version where you, they got stuck. Right. Yep. Until you block them. Yeah. You'll have to honestly, like that's what Slack ended up doing is, is that if, if you were on a super old version of Slack desktop and like, uh, like it was like years and years and years old, mm-hmm. like we try to make sure that it ran as long as possible, but at some point you just have to cut the line. And we started just showing like full screen modal dialogues that said like, you need to update, like mm, you need yeah. to download a new yeah, version. Yeah. You can't use this version anymore because like uh, at some point, like security becomes an issue, right? They're yeah. running insecure versions of the application for, from things that are patched long, long, long ago. And, and so you work for Slack now? No. So I, I left Slack about a year ago. Oh. oh. So I'm just about to, I took some time off, did a few consulting gigs. And now I'm just about to start, by the time this is aired, at Facebook working uh, under their developer tools uh, along with Eric Meyer. So, wow. Hmm. Excellent. Yeah. Dude, you get around. Yeah. (laughs) I'm really excited to work with such a smart guy. Well, Eric Meyer, crazy. You know, the reason Lambdas exist, right? A key part of bringing Lincoln to existence. Like just one of those amazing, amazing people. Yep. 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 And two ways about it. So, but Slack uses Squirrel then. Yeah. So most Electron applications use Squirrel. Interesting. For Mac and Windows. So it's kind of like. It's built into Electron, the kind of easy version of updates. We definitely encourage it in all the documentation and kind of building tools around it. And so kind of all the ecosystem is built around Squirrel. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a good way to think about the problem. And I love that it's, I mean, it looks like it came from C Sharp, but you're now on all kinds of platforms. Yeah. So we made it so that it it's kind of weird. And like, and now if I were to redesign Squirrel, like if I had like six months of my life that I could just, you know, spend on redoing Squirrel for Windows and Mac. It has this kind of like bifurcated API. Like there's a C Sharp API, which is you can include in your C Sharp application, but there's also this like API that everything else uses, which is like calling Squirrel executable with parameters, like running, you know, via the command line and parsing the output. And so it's kind of like this, like certain things have, you know, you can do in one and not the other. And like, it's really inconsistent, but yeah. So Squirrel was kind of built for C Sharp applications. And we realized it's like, well, actually 
there's this huge not C sharp application that everyone, you know, Adam, the text editor, right. That, that wants to use squirrel. And we're like, Oh, mm, uh, let's see if we can, let's see if we can make this work. So it's a little weird, but yeah. So C sharp applications get the really like C sharpy API that you'd expect. So, right. So yeah, I've been a Mac version an iOS version. You know, this, yep. this, well, it looks like the iOS version hasn't been worked on for a while. Hmm. Yeah. So I think that was, I think the iOS version, it was just kind of somebody's idea. And I think they kind of like didn't follow through on it, but it was around, around more like checking for the latest version and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Yep. So what's on the horizon? Is it done or is there still more to do? It's mostly done in terms of it does everything that I want it to do. One thing that I think about doing that people always ask, but I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to do it because it kind of breaks the ideas that install the program files. Right. So right. squirrel, it, builds this installer MSI that kind of like does something a little tricky. Like it, it really still installs their user directory, but installs to every user, every user's directory, Oh, which is a little bit surprising. So it works. <laughs> IT admins do not like squirrel. Uh, it's not very popular. They really uh, like to control updates and decide whenever updates come out and they want to be the ones to push down updates. These guys need a little Zen, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> do a little yoga, do a little you know, circular breathing. <laughs> I have had to talk many people off the ledge of why they cannot control updates anymore <laughs> and why that's a good thing. <laughs> so with some tricks, you could still install a program files, but get that UAC, UAC free behavior. Right. But it takes a lot of backflips. And I'm like, uh, it's every time you add complication to an installer, you add like a certain percentage of users that that complication is going to fall over. So I'm like, I'm like kind of on the edge of whether I want to do it. But yeah, I don't know. I'm not qualified to give you an opinion. All I know is that when I run a wizard and I have all these options of where to install, like, I don't care where to install, just install it. You know, I just want to install the app and click a button and use it. Yep. Yeah. And and again, you're the tech guy and you don't care. I don't care. The average mortal is like, I don't even know what this means. You know what? These things were designed back when we ran out of disk space often. We, we had to point to other drives. Yeah. And we had to manage our disk space. We had to manage our file structure. Man, my file structure is so polluted. Who knows where stuff is anymore, you know? I just have an icon, I click on it and it runs. Yeah. And you see, you see like uh, Microsoft kind of go in the same direction. Like like the desktop bridge and Apex stuff is if your app is a it works under Squirrel, your app almost certainly works under Apex and MSIX, a new kind of like installer stuff, because it's the same idea. We want to just make applications run under the user account. They're like in their kind of like own package that doesn't you know reach out of the file system and it has a, a lot of similar restrictions like you can't you know install drivers you can't install NT services so it's kind of the way that the way that most applications should be and of course like not all applications are going to work and that's and that's the thing it's like squirrel says it's like it's really good for a certain percentage of applications and that's most applications if you you know do a little bit of thinking but certain applications like it's just never going to work right like yeah. um, if you have to install a printer driver yep squirrel is just not going to be for you nope but why are you installing a printer driver? <laughs> I don't know. People people install all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah. And they're like, they always try. It's like, well, why can't I show, you know, I need to install like SQL Server as part of my installer. Yeah. I'm like, you can't do it. Sorry. Like, it just doesn't, it, you cannot. Doesn't work that yeah. way. You can't install SQL Server as part of your per user application. Hmm. Nope. Can't do it. Sorry. And and again, I, I really get the sense. This is a client tech. You don't want this. I guess I, I could run it on a server app. That could then go and get its own updates and so forth. But I probably don't want to do that. 
Yeah, you probably want to have some kind of management thing like a, you know, a chef or puppet or something like that. Yeah, Octopus Deploy. Yep. I mean, pick one, right? There's a bunch of great ways to do server-side updates. That's not what Squirrel's meant for. Yep. Yep. I think more and more I feel like, maybe it's just because I'm turning into an old man now, I like opinionated stuff. We do this, we don't do that. Yeah. Yep, yep. And you kids get off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not a, it's not an aggressive thing. It's just, uh, I, it's we want to be really good at doing what we do and if you want to do something else and that's you should use a different tool yeah. like uh i don't you know i don't use screwdrivers to you know bang in nails so right. well I, I just appreciate that sentiment of we're not good at that and i don't expect us to be good at that right that's that's not what we were thinking yep. well is there anything else that you want to mention before we sign off they moved that msdn article on application signing oh yeah it's always it's always been buried somewhere weird it's always been under like kernel and hardware or something like that yeah it's a hardware dev center it's now they're redirecting the link you're providing to the hardware submission section i'm like dudes this yeah i comb through docs for application signing and it's you know there's assembly signing and so forth it's just not as easy as it used to be the frustrating thing is that so so mac developers are getting into windows development because of electron right because they're like i built a mac app on electron how do i build it under windows and they're like, I'm like, oh, you need a certificate. And they're like, how do I get one? I'm like, oh, no. Like, I have to explain that this world still exists. Yeah. Yeah. And it's horrendous. And they're like, are you are you serious? Like, is this is this real life? And I'm like, yes, <laughs> it's real life. Welcome to real life. I found it. While we, while we were talking, I was poking around. So the redirected link, it's now called a legacy dashboard that has the app certificate submission system in it. Yeah. So... That's what you want is to go into that that submission system, and uh, it, it apparently makes it much cheaper. But they've clearly done this recently, and so a bunch of the links, even in the page itself, are broken. If you if you just Google for it, you can. They'll be like, yeah, it's five hundred dollars a year. Yeah, and like that's a bananas amount of money. Like, and people see that and they're like, I'm not going to spend five hundred dollars a year to like sign my stupid Windows app. Like, that's bananas. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, thanks very much, Paul. It's been great talking to you as well. Yeah, thank you so much. Squirrel's good stuff, man. Excellent. All right. All right, we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter van.